0: He still faced testing. We talked about it last week, but even when you're in the will of God, it doesn't mean it's always smooth sailing. There is testing. There is trials. There is hardships that come our way. And back in the land, he faces another test. And this time, the test comes in the form of a conflict between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants, which we see there in verse 5 to 7. It says in verse 5, and Lot also... Which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And so there was conflict that arose, conflict that arose between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants. You know, both Abraham and Lot had returned from Egypt with increased wealth. In verse 2 it says, and Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And So Abraham had returned, he returned from Egypt with increased riches. He already was rich when he left Tehran and we talked about that. He already had a, a fair of substance with him, but after going down into Egypt, he returns with even more wealth. And we talked about how that wealth came because Pharaoh pay, paid him a bride price. In chapter 12, verse 16, it says, And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen, oxen and asses and men servant, <coughs> sorry, men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And so Pharaoh had paid him a bride price. Pharaoh had given him this uh, increased wealth. And so Abraham has returned with all this livestock. He's returned with this increased amount of servants. And so he's a very rich man. And in verse 5 we learn that Lot also in his own right has become a rich uh, landowner or a li- rich man sorry, with uh, flocks and livestock. It says in verse 5 there, And Lot also which went with Abram, had flocks, and herds and tents and so Lot also now is a rich man in his own rights you know he's like Abraham amassed uh, a great number of flocks and herds he's amassed servants it seems like he has profited materially he's profited from the journey down into Egypt like Abraham did maybe you know Abraham split some of these things with him uh, the spoils that they got there but they both come back very rich with increased goods, increased servants. But you know, so often is the case, their increased riches did not lead to increased joy. Their increased riches did not lead to a, an easier life. It didn't lead to a life free from trouble. You know, far from it. In, in fact, this increased riches was the root cause of this trouble they now faced. It was the root cause of the, the conflict that was now before them. You see, they'd gone down into Egypt uh, almost as one clan. You know, Abraham was the leader and Lot was following his lead. They were basically one clan as they went down into Egypt. But upon returning, they're now distinctly divided. It's now talking about Abraham's servants and Lot's servants. Abraham's herd and Lot's herd, his livestock and Lot's livestock. So there's this, this division now. There is this Uh, distinction between the two clans and it wasn't long before this conflict now breaks out between the two sets of servants it says as we read there before in verse seven it says and there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land and so verse six (coughs) sorry we missed verse six it says in verse six and the land was not able to bear them Verse 6, it talks about how the land was not able to bear them. And what it's saying there is the place where they're, they're dwelling in the land. Okay? Of course, the, the land of Canaan is vast. Okay? It's, a, it's a huge place. There's plenty of land to bear both Lot and Abram. But the point is, there's not enough land if they continue to dwell in one place together. Okay? While well, they remain here together at Bethel, there's not enough room for both, uh, both clans, if you like. Now, Maya writes this, he says, The valleys around Bethel, which had been quite adequate for their needs when they first came to Canaan, were now altogether insufficient. The herdsmen were always wrangling for the first use of the wells and the first crop of the pastures. And so there's this fighting going on now to get the best piece of land, to get to the well first, to get, you know, whatever it might be. There's this fighting between... The servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot. You see, if this conflict was left unchecked, it had the potential to boil over. It had the potential to really destroy Abraham's testimony, Lot's testimony, had the potential to boil over into a, a, a physical conflict as well. You know perhaps the worst part of this whole uh, conflict that's taking place here is that it's carried out in the sight of the heathen nations. At the end of verse 7 there it says, And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. It points out that they're they're dwelling in the midst of these heathen nations. You know, they're witnessing all of this take place. They're they're watching Abraham and Lot and and their servants and they're seeing how they conduct themselves and, and they're seeing this take place. Morris writes this, he says, The saddest thing about this, of course, was that this was a bad testimony to the Canaanites around them. Just as they had already compromised their testimony to the Egyptians. Now, they'd already ruined things in front of the Egyptians, and now they're ruining things in front of the Canaanites in the land of Canaan. And so, something had to be done to solve this conflict. And what follows now in chapter 13 will clearly demonstrate to us the difference between these two men. The difference between both Abraham and Lot. You see they had a different focus. Abraham was a man who was spiritually minded but Lot was carnally minded. There is a clear distinction between these two men and their their approaches to life. And So first of all here this evening let's consider Abraham's gracious offer. Abraham's gracious Oh, for look at me there in verse 8. It says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. It is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou would take the, the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. You know, Abraham, aware of the strife that's Taking place, the contention between the two two sets of servants. Abraham meets with Lot to come to a solution, to come to a uh, a, <clears throat> a solution to the problem that's before them, and so Abraham here is the one taking the initiative. He's the one taking the lead. He's the one seeking to make peace here. And in verse eight, we see Abraham's concern that this conflict is going to affect their relationship as well. It says there in verse 8, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. You see, he understood that if he didn't do anything about it, soon it was going to affect his relationship with Lot. It doesn't seem like it had yet, that it was right now it was contained to the two sets of servants. But if they didn't do something about it soon, it was going to affect their relationship between each other. And so Abraham takes the initiative and he wants to do something about it before it destroys their their relationship. And so we see him graciously suggest a solution in verse 9. It says, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou would take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abraham proposes a solution. And his solution here is both logical and also very simple. It's logical. You know, he says we need to separate. You know, we're in one place around Bethel and we're fighting over the land. We need to separate into different regions of the land. You know, the land, as I said earlier, was vast enough to support both. There's no reason for them to fight over one portion of land. There's plenty of room in the land of Canaan for both of them so Abraham here tells Lot to look out over the land before him and pick the portion that he wants to take. Pick the portion that he wants to, to call home, that he will go to. And Abraham says, And no, I'll go the other direction. You know, this really was a gracious offer by Abraham, wasn't it? It was a gracious offer. You see, he was the elder of the two. Okay, Abraham's the elder, he, Lot is his nephew. he's the elder of the two, and so by right he had first choice. But not only that, he's the one who was called by God. You know, back there in the early era of the Chaldees, it was Abraham who was called, not Lot. Lot decided, Lot chose to follow his uncle by faith. I mean, Lot is a righteous man, the New Testament tells us that. He did decide by faith to follow Abraham, but Abraham is the one called by God. Abraham is the one who's promised This land, it belongs to him, not Lot. And so Abraham, by right, he could have sat Lot down and he could have just told Lot, listen, you're going that way and I'm going this way. He could have told Lot the portion of land that he was to have. But instead, what we find is Abraham here letting Lot choose. He graciously gives Lot first choice. Now immediately we see that Abraham has learnt from his failure in going down into Egypt. You see, that decision was driven by fear, wasn't it? Okay? It was driven by his fear of not being able to provide for his family because of the famine. It was driven by fear of not having enough and seeing that Egypt had plenty, and so he made that decision without God. But what we see now is that Abraham... He's learned his lesson. He's now sure that God can take care of him no matter where he dwells. God can take care of him no matter how sparse the the portion of land is that he's left with. God can take care of him no matter where he is dwelling. Morris writes this, Abram had learned that God could take care of his needs no matter where he was so that he offered Lot the choice of fields. As the older man and the leader of the clan, Abram by all rights, should have had the priority, but he graciously offered it to Lot. You see, he's very gracious here in the way that he treats Lot, and his graciousness here speaks to us of Abraham's hard attitude. You see, what we see here is an attitude of selflessness, don't we? Selflessness. We also see an attitude of meekness. You see, he, he had every right to demand first choice, didn't he? He had every right. That was his right to decide the issue and to tell Lot what to do. But instead, he selflessly gives Lot the choice. Now, this truly was a godly attitude. A godly attitude, it was a spirit of meekness. You know, this is the attitude that we as believers are to exhibit, is it not? You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Christ tells us, he says, blessed are the meek. And we talked about that when we looked at Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. We talked about meekness. And meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. Power under control. It's it's the idea that we do not insist upon our own rights. We don't demand what we deserve. But rather we consider others first. We're willing to sacrifice for others. We're meek in our response towards others. Now this is what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 12. Let's turn over there, Romans 12. <clears throat> in Romans 12, verse 10, <clears throat> says this, Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Paul tells us that we ought to be selfless and in love, prefer one another, put others first. In Philippians 2, verse 4, where again, see this idea stressed, just turn over there, Philippians 2. In Philippians 2 and verse 4. (coughs) Philippians 2 verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he goes on, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul again, talking to the Philippians, stresses this idea of looking at the needs of others and being concerned about others. And of course, this is the spirit of meekness, and it's the spirit of selflessness. It's the spirit that Christ had. It's the attitude of our Lord and Savior. You see, this is the attitude that Abraham had here. He's willing to put Lot first. He's selfless, he's meek. You know, this attitude of selflessness and meekness, it also demonstrates to us that Abraham here is walking by faith. He's walking by faith. You see, the reason he could respond like this is because of his faith in his God. You see, he was content knowing that whatever Lot chose, it didn't matter. It really didn't matter what Lot chose because God would take care of him. You see, that's why he could respond like this. He wasn't concerned about the material things. Who is he looking at? He's looking at God. He's concerned about the Lord, and so he's, he's trusting God to take care of him. He's not worried about the future. He knew his God was in control, and so he's walking by faith here. Abraham is spiritually minded. He's spiritually minded. As it says in Hebrews, he's looking unto the, the city whose builder and maker is God. That's his focus. And so he graciously, selflessly, meekly lets Lot choose first. You know, like Abraham, we need to keep our eyes upon the Lord, don't we? We need to be spiritually minded. Keep our eyes upon him. We must walk by faith knowing that he's in control. If we have that attitude, it then enables us to be selfless, to be meek. When we have our eyes upon him, we can be gracious and selfless towards others. We can put others first because by faith we know God's in control, by faith we know He will take care of us, no matter what comes our way. Now Matthew 6:33, a verse we know well, declares this very point, let's go there, Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> in Matthew 6 and verse 33, we know it well, it says, but seek ye first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And it goes on, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. You see, when we seek him first, when we put him first, and we have, we're spiritually minded, we're looking at the Lord, he will take care of the rest. We don't have to worry about those things. As I said, when we understand this truth and we're keeping our eyes upon the Lord, walking by faith, it will help us to be selfless. It will help us to to be meek in our dealings with others. Now, I was thinking about this week, we teach our kids that, that wonderful truth, you know, that true joy is found by putting Jesus first, yourself last and others in between, joy. And that's what Abraham's doing here, isn't it? Abraham's putting the Lord first, He's putting Lot second, and he's put himself last. He's trusting in the Lord. He's spiritually minded, walking by faith. Now that brings us now secondly this evening to Lot's fateful choice. Lot's fateful choice. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. Genesis 13 verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. That it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly you know straight away we see the difference between these two men how does verse 10 start it says "And lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan lot lifts up his eyes and he looks where at the plain of Jordan he's looking at things material possessions he's looking at the land he's looking at what he can get lots decision making here was made purely based upon what he could see with his eyes. You see, instead of lifting up his eyes unto the Lord, that's where he needed to lift his eyes, he needed to lift his eyes unto the Lord and ask the Lord for wisdom and counsel here. Instead, Lot lifts his eyes unto what he can see and he makes his decision by sight. He's walking by sight here. Now this, of course, is exactly what got Abraham into trouble in the previous chapter, isn't it? This is what Abraham did wrong. You know, he'd seen the problem of the famine before him. He lifted up his eyes and saw that Egypt had Lot's. And so Abraham made a decision based purely upon sight. He made his own decision without the Lord. And of course, as we said, we know what what happened because of that. It was a terrible decision. And he ended up leaving Egypt in disgrace, in shame. You know, Lot had been with Abraham on that journey. He'd been down there in Egypt with Lot. He'd seen all that take place. But evidently, he had not learnt the same lesson. He had not learnt from the experience like Abraham had. You see, given this opportunity now to choose, Lot sets his eyes upon what he believes is the best portion of land. As we saw there in verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and Beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. So Lot lifts up his eyes, and he sees the plain of Jordan. This is where his eyes fixate upon this beautiful lush plain of course this is the region where the cities of sodom and gomorrah were before the lord destroyed them now today this region is a a barren waste it's hot it's unbearable it's a terrible place to live but in those days it was a lush fertile plain in fact as verse 10 says it was like the garden of eden and it says it was also like the land of egypt the land of egypt of course is well watered by the Nile. It has those lush plains. And so the point is that this was the choice piece of land. Okay, his Lot lifts up his eyes, this is the best portion of land in Canaan. It's the, it's the ideal place for him to take his livestock, to take his herds and to, to raise them. It's the best piece of land. The problem, of course, is that in that lush fertile plain were five wicked cities. The most, the prominent of those, two, those of course are Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, they're the two we know. But there's these five wicked cities including Sodom and Gomorrah. And already in Lot's day the Lord declares that they're an exceedingly wicked place. It says in verse 13, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So even in Lot's day, even as Lot is setting his eyes in that direction, the Lord is already saying that they are exceedingly sinful, that it's a wicked place. You see, the point is that, yes, it was a lush, fertile plain. Yes, it seemed like the logical decision financially. It seemed like the logical decision from a materialistic point of view, didn't it? The logical decision from a business point of view. But that's all Lot was focusing on. Lot was not focusing on the fact that it was not a good decision spiritually. This was a place of great wickedness. It was not a place that he ought to be going. You see, Lot was not focusing on any of these things. He wasn't looking at the cities. He wasn't looking at the sin, the wickedness. He wasn't concerned by this. He didn't take this into consideration as he made his decision. All that he is looking at He's the materialistic side of things. He's only looking at the worldly side of things. His only concern is one of profits, wealth, land. His only concern is making sure that he gets the best. Total opposite to Abraham, isn't it? Abraham was selfless. Lot is selfish. He's only concerned about himself here and getting the best. You know, he truly was walking by Sight, not by faith. You know, perhaps he even rationalized it. Rationalized the decision by saying, Yes, I'll go down there and I know that they're wicked cities, but I'll stay apart from them and I'll be a good influence in the region. Morris made this point. He said, Though he no doubt knew something of the wickedness of those cities, he nevertheless decided that that was what he wanted to do. Perhaps. He also, like many believers today who make similar choices, rationalized that he could be a witness for the Lord there while at the same time enjoying the creature comforts they offered. Now, Lot truly made a decision that many Christians make. He made a decision purely based on sights, and perhaps he even made the same excuse, I'll be a good influence there. I'll have a good influence upon them. I'll win them to the Lord. The problem was that Lot was only focused on the creature comforts. He was focused on the best land. That was his concern. That's what he based this decision on. And you know, with this decision, we see clearly his hard attitude, don't we? We see clearly the difference between him and Abraham. You see, rather than being spiritually minded, rather than walking by faith, Lot here is carnally minded. And he is walking by sights. You know, he loved the things of this world. And that's what dictated his decision-making. Now, Romans 8, Paul talks about someone who is carnally minded, minded, is walking after the flesh. Just turn over there, Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verse 5, it says this, For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. but They are of the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Lot was certainly living after the flesh. His only concern was fleshly, worldly pursuits, not the spiritual. Now as Paul declares there, he says to be carnally minded is death. pastor talked about a lot this morning. Be carnally minded is death. It brings no joy. It brings no peace. It brings no happiness. It will, in fact, lead us down a road to greater sin, to greater consequences, when we are carnally minded, when we live for the world. And that's certainly what happens with Lot. You know, we know that Lot, at first, he started out not actually dwelling in Sodom. Okay, he just pitched his tent towards Sodom. Go back there, Genesis 13 verse 12 says Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom so at first he doesn't go and move into Sodom he just pitches his tent in the direction of Sodom and it says that he's there amongst the cities of the plain in other words he's living in the vicinity of those cities Morris writes this he says He dwelt in the cities of the plain, not actually within the cities, since he still lived in his tent, but in their orbit, as it were, near enough to enjoy their advantages, but not yet actually part of their life. And so at first he's just dwelling in the region of, he's he's just there in the vicinity of these cities, enjoying the fact that, you know, there's those good shops nearby, there's the good trade, there's good pasture, he's just enjoying... The fact that he's in this vicinity, enjoying the benefits of it. But you know, it's not long before he pitches his, takes his tent, sorry, packs it up, and moves inside the city of Sodom. In chapter 14, we find him already in the city. Chapter 14, verse 12, it says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. By chapter 14, where's Lot now, he's moved into Sodom. He's not in his tent anymore. He's packed that up. He's now living in the city. By chapter 19, it goes even further and says that he's sitting in the gate of the city. Chapter 19 and verse 1. Excuse me. Chapter 19, verse 1. It says, And there came two angels to Sodom at Even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Chapter 19, verse 1, he's now sitting in the gate of the city. And what that means is that he's now one of the business leaders. That he's one of the officials in the city of Sodom. Now his love for things of the world led him to being totally out of fellowship with his God. Totally out of fellowship. He's totally in a place now where he probably never, th- never thought he'd find himself when he made that decision. Now he probably thought, I'll just go and dwell near the cities. Then he's in the city. Next thing he knows, he's part of the city and part of the the whole running of that city. He found himself dwelling out of fellowship with God, living in a place of wickedness. As I said earlier, the New Testament tells us that he was a righteous man. Turn to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 2. Because I think this is an important point. 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter 2, verse 7, it says, And and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You see, it's important for us to understand Lot was a just man. Lot was a righteous man. But sadly, he was a carnal man. He was carnally minded. He was carnally minded and it led him to making terrible decisions with terrible consequences. And it all started here with this decision. This decision based on sight alone. You know, as believers, we must be so careful that we're not carnally minded. So careful. That we don't get our eyes off the Lord and get our eyes on the things of this world and start making decisions based on Profit based on materialism, based on what we can get, based on creature comforts, we must keep our eyes on the Lord and off the things of the world. Now, first John chapter two warns us about living for the world. Turn over there, first John chapter two. First <clears throat> John two verse fifteen says, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. In First John 2 we're warned about loving things of the world. Loving the world. And the things of the world, it says, will pass away. They don't last. They're temporary. Temporary pleasures. The pleasure of sin only lasts for a season, doesn't it? But they'll pass away and only that which is done for Christ will last. Only that which is done for our Lord will matter. You see, if we get our eyes off the Lord and we start walking by sight alone, living for the things of the world, then it will only lead to a place of misery and loss. It leads to death, doesn't it? To be carnally minded is death. It's like Lot, we'll find ourselves in a place that's far from where God wants us to be. And this is what happens when we walk by sight instead of walking by faith. Now that brings us now last of this evening to God's wonderful assurance for Abraham. Go back there to Genesis 13. We see God's wonderful assurance assurance verse 14 it says "And the Lord said unto Abram after that lot was departed from him lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever and I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth then shall thy seed also be numbered Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelled in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. You know, the passage ends with Abraham having another meeting with the Lord. Another meeting with his God, another uh, pre-incarnate Christ, if you like. The Lord talks to him yet again, appears unto him. And in this meeting, the Lord assures him, assures Abraham of his promises. He hasn't forgotten his promises. He assures Abraham that his promises still stand and he will fulfill those promises to him. You see, Lot had lifted up his eyes and he'd seen what the world had to offer and he'd made his decision. And now the Lord invites Abraham to lift up his eyes and to see what God has to offer him. He says to him there at the start of verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes. And it goes on. But he lifts up his eyes and what's he looking at? He's looking at what God is showing him. He's looking at what the Lord has for him. You know, Lot chose the portion of land that he thought was best. He thought was best. And it was a place, as we saw, that would lead him into sin, lead him away from the Lord. But God now assures Abraham that he hasn't missed out on anything. He hasn't lost anything by giving Lot the first choice. Far from it. What God had to offer Abraham was far greater than anything that Lot had set his eyes upon. In verse 14 and 15, the Lord declares that everything that he can see is his inheritance. Verse 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was de- separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. God says to him, he says, look in every direction and everything you can see, Abraham, belongs to you. Now he graciously let Lot choose first. He didn't miss out, did he? Because the blessings of God was far greater. Everything that Abraham could see belonged to him and to his seed. And indeed, that promise will come true, won't it? In the millennial kingdom, Israel will own all of the land as Christ rules and reigns on this earth. But not only that, God goes on to assure him that his seed will be as the dust of the earth. Verse 16 says, And I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. God assures him that he's going to have a great number of descendants, that a great nation is going to come from him. As yet, Abraham still didn't have any children. And so this is God again assuring him that he's going to have a son and that he's going to have many descendants that are too numerous to number, as the dust of the earth, the Lord says. And again, that promise without doubt has come true, hasn't it? You know, We look around the world today and we see the descendants of Abraham. It truly as the dust of the earth, they are without number. God blessed him, God kept his promise. And then in verse 17, Abraham is invited by God to walk through the land by faith. It says, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Abraham is invited by God to rise up and to explore this land before him. To explore the land that God has promised him. And it's the idea that he is to walk through it as though it's already his. He's to walk through the land as if it's already his, he's to walk through it by faith, looking forward to the day when his seed will inherit it. And what's Abraham's response? In verse eighteen it says, Then Abraham Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Abraham responds in faith by packing up his tents and moving to Hebron. He gets on the move again. And at Hebron he builds this altar unto the Lord. And the chapter concludes with Abraham worshipping his God. And no doubt you can see him there giving thanks and praise to God for his glorious blessings to him. Blessings that he didn't deserve. They're blessings God gave him by grace. You know, this wonderful assurance of God's blessing to Abraham came because he walked by faith, not by sight. You know, Lot, walking by sight, he missed out, didn't he? He missed out on seeing God's hand of blessing upon his life. You know, he had everything in a worldly sense. He had everything. But it brought him nothing but misery and shame because he didn't have the Lord with him. He was out of fellowship with God. He was walking, not by faith. He was walking by sight. He was carnally minded. Abraham, on the other hand, walked by sight. He was spiritually minded. He graciously gave Lot first choice. And God didn't let him go empty handed. God assured Abraham that he would bless him abundantly. And God kept his promises. You know, as believers, we likewise must walk by faith not by sight. When we walk by faith, we can be sure that God will bless us abundantly. Now what God has to offer us, what God promises us, is far greater than anything that the world offers. The pastor talked about it this morning. If we give our lives to Him, we follow Him by faith, He won't shortchange us. We won't miss out. It's always better to follow the Lord by faith to be spiritually minded than to be carnally minded. And seek after the things of the world. You see, God will never fail us when we walk by faith. Romans 8, we read it earlier. Romans 8 verse 6 says, "For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the, the great example in the Old Testament, Lord, of this The truths that we looked at this morning, we can see the the example of them this evening, uh, here with Abraham and Lot, Lord, two uh, men with totally different attitudes. Abraham was spiritually minded, Lot, who was calmly minded, Lord. Lord, may you help us to learn from their example. Help us, Lord, to be spiritually minded. Help us to set our eyes upon you and walk by faith, trusting in you each and every day. May that dictate the way that we act, the way that we respond towards people, the way that we make choices, Lord. May it be made by faith, uh, trusting in you, walking with you each and every day. Well, may you bless now as we close. May we remember the truths of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.